0: The gospel of John to John chapter 15. We are continuing our, our series uh, called I Am, looking at the I Am statements of Jesus and John's Gospel. And we looked last week at Jesus' statement, I am the vine, you are the branches, and there was uh, really more uh, in that uh, uh, teaching to be explored. And so we're continuing that, uh, that same discourse this Sunday, John 15 We'll be looking at verses 9 through 12. Um, in case you're wondering, uh, there's one uh, I Am statement that we have not yet looked at, and uh, um, that one we'll be covering next Sunday. So it's the, the one that we skipped was from John 11, I Am, the resurrection and the life. And so we'll be looking at that one on Easter Sunday. So John 15, verses 9 through 12. And uh, before we uh, read, I invite you to bow with me as we ask for the Spirit's anointing on His Word. Heavenly Father, as we come now, Lord, before your throne and as we come together to your word, Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit this morning. And I pray, O Lord, that the same Spirit that gave life to these words would now work in our hearts, O Lord, to receive them. Lord, do your work in us. Will you and you alone know we need to hear and may it bear fruit that would be transformative, that would bring change, that would be for our good and for your glory. So we offer ourselves to you, O Lord, in this time. May your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. John 15, verses 9 through 12. Like I said, Jesus had been talking about remaining. Last week we looked at, uh, at the first part of this uh, text and we saw that the, 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 the dominant theme throughout these verses is to remain in the vine. That word remain is used again and again and again. And now Jesus uh, elaborates a little bit on what that remaining in the vine looks like. may be seated. So like I mentioned, we saw last week that we are called to remain in Christ, that He is the vine, we are the branches. And the only way to live a fruitful life for our good and for God's glory is by remaining in Christ as the vine. John made that that image and that, that message came out through pretty loud and clear. And now, Jesus, as he continues his teaching, he takes us a little bit deeper. He says that to remain in him is not only to remain in sort of the the abstract idea of him, but it is to remain in his love. And so, as he continues in his teaching, he shows us uh, in these verses this morning in our text, he shows us by what means we remain in his love, and for what purpose we remain in his love, and then on what basis. We remain in his love. And so he first tells us by what means we remain in his love. And he says in verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. So we remain in his love by obedience. Now, Jesus has already made the connection between love and obedience back in chapter 14, where he said in verse 21, he said, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him. And then again in verse 23, he said, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home in him. It is by keeping his commands that we remain in his love. And to keep his commands is to study carefully what he teaches and then to put it into practice. It is, uh, as James says, to be not just hearers of the word, but, but doers of the word. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He takes us even deeper. And he gets a little more specific. He says in verse twelve, "My command is this: love each other as I have loved you." So, in the specific context here of John fifteen, this is this is what he's, this is what it means to, to keep his commands. This is really the deep center of his teaching in these verses. This is the heart of the matter. We, we can follow his thought kind of from the, from the outside in to take the, the, start with kind of the bigger picture, and he, he gets kind of closer and closer and closer to the center of, of his teaching here in verse 12. So it goes something like this. He says, uh, my father wants you to live the fruitful life to your satisfaction and to his glory. That's, that's the, the most outer level. My father wants you to live a fruitful life. The fruitful life comes to those who remain in me like branches remain in the vine. And then he says to remain in me is to remain in my love. And you remain in my love when you keep my commands. And my command is this, to love each other as I have loved you. And so when we follow it all the way down to the center, we see that the way to live a fruitful life according to what Jesus is teaching in these verses is to love each other. We've talked a lot about that especially the last, over the last uh, couple of years and how important it is to, to set aside differences and to set aside uh, you know, different, different stances and different issues and, and to just focus on our love for each other. And that's what Jesus is talking about here again this morning. So, so deep is the union between Christ and his people that to love him is to love them. And to love them, to love each other, is to remain in his love. John put it this way in uh, 1 John chapter 2. He said, If we love one another, then God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. It is by loving one another that we show ourselves to be truly connected to the love of Christ. And notice how Jesus says we are to love each other. He says we are to love each other as I have loved you. Which means we are to love each other with a Christ-like love, which is a love that is always giving and always serving and always emptying self for the sake of others. And haven't we seen the, the need to do that over the last year and a half or two years or so? How, how many occasions there have been to set aside our own, our, our own agendas and our own ambitions and our own thoughts and our own what we think is, is needed for the sake of putting others first. We are to love each other by humbling ourselves and putting the needs of others above our own. I remember a couple of years ago I was at the uh, the the Pizza Ranch here in town. I don't know why I keep talking about pizza buffets. I re- really honestly don't go that often. Um, but a couple years ago, we were at the Pizza Ranch here in town, and, and this is shortly after they came out with their their new dessert, which is that I don't know if you've ever been to, to Pizza Ranch, but they had they have the new dessert was with the chocolate chip cookie. You got anybody, anybody else been there? Okay, good. A few other Pizza uh, Pizza Ranch people out there. So it, it's like a like a it's, in a it's a big circle, like a big cookie that's shaped like a pizza, and they cut it in a triangle, so you have a little slice of chocolate chip cookie. It's it's the best dessert uh, uh, ever, at least at Pizza Ranch. And so I was, uh, after the meal, waiting to, you know, to go up to, the, to get, a, to get a, a cookie, and I kept going up there, but they were always gone. And uh, so I could go back up again and look, and no, they're still not there. And finally I went up, and, and sure enough, they had put a fresh batch out, but it was almost already almost half gone, so it was about maybe uh, two-thirds of it was left or something like that. So I quick grabbed a plate and I went over to the dessert area to, to get a cookie to bring back to the table. And just as I was pulling you know getting up to the table, a guy uh, sta- uh you know slips right in front of me and he starts to and he takes the thing and he starts he he puts a slice of the cookie on his plate and then another and then another and then another. And the guy literally took every last little piece, every single one. He took the entire thing. And put it on and stacked it up onto his plate, and then walked away. So there I am with my empty plate, and there's nothing left for me. Yeah, it was a pretty bad day. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've seen some pretty lousy. I don't expect a whole lot from buffets in terms of you know food etiquette, but I, I'd never seen anything quite like that. So blatantly selfish and, and rude, and. And that, that, I share that because that scene, I think, gives us just a little glimpse, doesn't it, of, of our sinful nature. That we are by nature bent inward. We are, whether we acknowledge it or admit it, we, we, we mask it pretty well, so we're, we're probably, most of us aren't going to go to a buffet and, and take all of the, the things on our plate and leave, you know, leave somebody with nothing. But, but that's who we really are, isn't it, deep down inside? We are by nature bent inward. We are by nature in our fallen condition self-seeking. When Jesus calls us to love each other as he has loved us, to love each other with this self-giving, other-serving kind of love, he's calling us to something radically different than what comes naturally, because what comes naturally is something similar to that scene at Pizza Ranch. He's calling us to put others first. And to do so not only in the in the big stuff. I think sometimes we take this command of Jesus, you know, love each other as I have loved you. And then he goes on to say in verse thirteen that the, the greatest expression of this is to lay down your life for one another. And to be honest, I I, I, I can kind of I can grasp that pretty easily. I, I can easily imagine myself, if somebody you know, would come into our home, break into her home, and, and they're threatening Lori or something, I can, I can very easily imagine myself laying down my life for her. You know, I, I, you know taking a bullet for her. Whatever that might be. I, I, I don't really even hesitate to think about that. It's the small stuff where, where I really stumble. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Not just the, these grand gestures, lay down your life for one another. It, it's... Not just the big stuff, but it's in the small stuff. The the day in and the day out kind of stuff. Letting your sister have the last piece of cake. Doing the dishes without being asked. Using the money that you've been saving to buy your friend the pair of shoes that she wants but can't afford. Keeping the thermostat in your home at 72 degrees because your wife is cold when you would much rather have it at 66. Giving up an evening at home to sit with a friend who's in pain. Or daily trips to a nursing home to spend time with someone who is quick to criticize and quick to complain and doesn't even remember your name anymore. Love each other as I have loved you, Jesus says. And it's a call that drives all the way down to the little things in daily life. We are to, to treat fellow brothers and sisters in Christ sacrificially, not in, just in the big stuff, but in the small stuff. And I don't think we've fully realized what a high calling this is. I mean, it would be hard enough if we could pick only the loveliest people To love in this way, right? But that's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say, love the loveliest among you as I have loved you. Pick out the very best and love them as I have loved you. No, he says love each other. And when he says each other, he means every one of each other. Even the unlovely and the unkind. We're to love those who rub us the wrong way. We're to love those who see things differently than we do. We are to love the corrupted and stained, the scoundrels and cheaters, the difficult and the boring, the loud and the obnoxious, the spineless and the confused. As unlovely as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ may be, and by the way, we may be just as unlovely to our fellow brothers and sisters. We're called to love them as Christ has loved us. This is how, this is the, the means by which we remain in Christ's love, by keeping his commands, and specifically the command to love each other. So second, he reveals then for what purpose we remain in his love. And he says in verse 11, he reveals the purpose here in verse 11, I have told you this so that, that's the Greek hinna, a purpose clause, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So our remaining in Christ's love is for the purpose of joy. Well, what Jesus wants for us is is for his joy to be in us and for our joy to be complete. And the word complete uh, conveys the idea of being filled to the full measure like like a, a glass pitcher that is filled absolutely to the brim. I think it's so important for us to to hear what Jesus says here because we try to fill our picture of joy with all kinds of other things, with all kinds of earthly joys and desires. We are in constant pursuit of joy, trying to attain it with all these other things, with everything under the sun. But the sum total of all of that chasing and seeking is not able to fill the picture. In fact, it can't even come close. It's as if that glass pitcher has a hole in the bottom, and no no matter what we put in, it just keeps emptying back out. As the writer of Ecclesiastes said, it's all a mist chasing, a chasing after the wind. And he should know, because he pursued every earthly desire he could think to pursue, and in the end, the pitcher was just as empty as when he began. The human heart cannot find the full measure of joy apart from Christ. And so if we want to find true joy, Jesus says it comes through obedience, which is maybe not not a connection we often make, is it? But that's what Jesus says. If we want a joyful life, it comes through obedience. The life of obedience is the joyful life. The joyful life is the life of obedience. And this has profound implications for us, I think, as Christians. Because it means if you want a a more joyful life, it, it won't come through changed circumstances. It won't come through the next purchase. It won't come through the the next tier up on the pay grade. It won't come through new relationships. It won't come uh, through better weather, though maybe that's debatable. I don't know. But it it won't ultimately come through better weather, through a new home, through greater achievements. You can fill in the blank with anything you want. It won't come through those things. It'll come through obedience. And if you find... At times, life rather depressing and dull and miserable than maybe and and not necessarily, but maybe it's not because life is hard or because you're emotionally broken or because it's just a bad season. Maybe, again, not not always, but but often, maybe it's because you're failing to pursue joy through obedience. I'm going to share a quote with you from D.A. Carson. It's a it's a little bit long, so I, I'll put it up on the screen, but. I, I think it is so fitting and relevant for so many of us. So D.A. Carson says, no one is more miserable than a Christian who for a time hedges in his obedience. He does not love sin enough to enjoy its pleasures. And he does not love Christ enough to relish holiness. He does not feel at home any longer in the world, but the tantalizing lyrics of his old music prevent him from singing with the saints. He is a man most to be pitied, and he cannot forever remain ambivalent. And isn't that where so many of us are as Christians? We're like the Laodiceans, neither, neither hot nor cold. We're somewhere in the middle, somewhere between the, the heat of wholehearted obedience and the, the cold of rejection, where we're lukewarm and, and compromised, We don't love the world enough to indulge in its ways, but we don't love Christ enough to abandon ourselves to full obedience. And so we go through life just sort of dabbling in a bit of each, partly obedient and partly rebellious, and such a person, as Dia Carson says, is most to be pitied like lukewarm water. No one is more miserable than a Christian who camps out in the shadowlands, in the suburbs of obedience, somewhere between chasing hard after Christ and rejecting him if you keep my commands, Jesus says, you will remain in my love. So come out of the shadow lands where the water is tepid and the land is dull and the living things struggle to bear any fruit. Stop trying to fill up that that pitcher with things ill-equipped to do the filling and discover the full measure of joy in the life of obedience. I think it's It's hard in part because we live in a world that is so enthralled with cheap thrills and hollow joys, but all the while it is starving for a deeper kind of joy, the kind of joy that only Jesus offers. As A.W. Tozer said, the Christian owes it to the world to be supernaturally joyful. It is for this purpose that we are to remain in Christ's love, for the purpose of joy, to be supernaturally joyful joyful. And so we have seen by what means we remain in Christ's love and for what purpose we remain in his love. And the remaining question then is on what basis do we remain in his love? What is the the foundation underneath it all? We find the answer at the beginning of verse 9 where Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. It is out of this profound statement of Christ's love for us that we are called to remain in his love. This is really the same pattern that we identified last week, right? That the indicatives of grace precede the imperatives of obligation. The foundation of our remaining in Christ's love is his love for us. So the foundation of this, this, this horizontal call to love each other is this vertical reality of God's love for us in Christ. John put it this way in 1 John chapter 4, when he said, we love because he first loved us. And again, notice the, 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 the language there, we love horizontally because there's the causal, the connection, the source, the basis, because he first loved us. His love for us is the foundation on which all of this stands. Without it, there is nothing in which to remain and there is no joy to be had. So everything, everything that Jesus says in these verses hangs in what he says at the beginning of verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And, And what, ponder for a moment what a deeply profound statement that is. Because this is the King of Kings and the Lord of lords, the one by whom and through whom and for whom all things were made. And this exalted one, this King of kings and Lord of lords says to sinners and skeptics, to to drifters and doubters, to braggarts and betrayers, I love you. And not only that, but I love you in the same manner in which my Father has loved me, which is the deepest of all possible loves, the eternal love that has flowed from the Father to His Son from before the foundation of the world. With that same kind of love, Jesus says, I have loved you. And if we even begin to comprehend the depth and the beauty of these words, then with every fiber of our being, we want to heed what he says next, which is to remain in his love. If we even begin to grasp and even begin to comprehend the depth of his love for us, then how can we not want to remain in it? But again, the pattern is crucial. We love because he first loved us. We're called to remain in his love after he has told us that he already loves us. This is the basis for our remaining in his love. This is the foundation on which all of our fruitfulness stands. As the old hymn says, wonderful things in the Bible I see, but this is the dearest, that Jesus loves me. If there's only one song I can sing, when in his beauty I see the great king, this shall my song through eternity be. Oh, what a wonder that Jesus loves me. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the donkey, the crowds hailed him as king. But many in those same crowds would shout "Crucify!" just a few days later. They had the appearance of disciples on Palm Sunday, but what was really in their hearts was exposed on Good Friday. They didn't remain in him because they, didn't, they, they, they couldn't have, otherwise they would have. They didn't know or grasp his deep love for them. Remain in my love, Jesus says, and we do so by means of obedience and for the purpose of joy and on the basis of his deep love for us. Let's bow together. Oh, Lord Jesus, as we ponder this teaching of yours in the upper room, Lord, what rich and beautiful words. And I pray now, oh Lord, that as we come before your throne in this time of silent response. Lord, I pray that you would work within us, O Lord, a renewed vision of your love for us. Lord, may we see it more deeply and more clearly. For it is on that basis, O Lord, that we are able to love each other. And as we love each other, O Lord, Your joy is in us, and our joy is filled to the brim. Oh, Lord, in this time of silent prayer and surrender and commitment and devotion to you, teach us, oh, Lord, show us again the height and the width and the depth and the length of your love for us. Lord, hear our silent prayers. Lord, the only way to live a fruitful life is by remaining in you, Lord Jesus, as the vine. And to remain in the vine is to remain in your love. And we remain in your love, O Lord, when we walk in obedience to your commands. And your command to us, O oh Lord, is to love each other. And we love each other as we grasp and ponder your deep love for us. O oh Lord, your love for us is displayed most profoundly and most richly at the cross. So Lord, give us new eyes to see the awful beauty of the cross and your love for us, O oh Lord, that, that screams out from Calvary. And Lord, as it captures our hearts, I pray that it will transform our lives, that we may then go out and love each other, that our joy may be complete, that we will then remain in your love. And as we remain in your love, O Lord, we will keep your commands. And as we keep your commands, we will bear fruit to the Father's glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.